All right, folks, we are live and we've got a few people tuned in already. What I want to go ahead and say to start off with here, let's see some check-ins, right? We've got a couple coming in. While we're waiting on some folks to bop in before we get rocking and rolling in today, uh, we want to see those check-ins, folks. W. Huggy, he knows the drill. He's already checking in from Las Vegas before we even went live. And Julie says, hey, everyone from Michigan. And And super chatted already. Somebody super chatted already. Julie already super chatted. We will be getting with you later. Thank you for the super chat, though. Steve, hi from Ontario. You've got to be having cooler weather than we are. I mean, it was over 100 today here. Morning, Morning from Utah. What? It can't be morning. In Utah. No, it's that, like... Uh, that's in the U.S. It's like... A couple hours. Five o'clock. hey Australia. Maybe it's morning in Australia. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? No. No? So like middle of the night in Probably Australia? like super middle of the nighty. I don't know. What time is it in, in Brisbane, Australia? Angus? New Zealand? Know. Hey, hey. Michigan, California, New York, Florida. Everybody's rocking California. and rolling now. New York, New York. Long Island, New York, but still. It, it's more fun to say New York, New York. Oklahoma. Maui, Hawaii. Hawaii. Hey, guys. How are you? Oklahoma. For everybody just tuning in, it looks like a uh, majority of you are getting the gist here. We want to get a quick check-in from everybody. Where are you at? Where are you watching 119 from? 119 in Arizona. Oh, my God. You could cook Yuck. an egg on that bad boy, I bet. Just throw it out on the, on the driveway. Three minutes, you're done. Hey, Jared. What up? I know you're from Kansas. <laughs> Get some rum rolling, buddy. Let's see here. Everybody else tuning in. All right. So uh, Kat's got a real super duper special announcement with what she's drinking. Typically, it's something about me. And tonight, it happens to be He's Kat. just plain old boring right now. Yeah. I got the old Chickalobe Ultra rolling in the can. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Yep. Yes. All right, baby. All right, baby. In the old can condom there. That that kind of sounded cool, too. Like a cork popping off right there. Something popped off. Yeah, it was less dramatic that time. And then because I am having... Check that out. That bottle is Gorgy Mermaid... Mermaid Gin from the Isle of Wight, which I didn't know where that was exactly, so I Googled it because Google knows everything. And this is from an island of England. And Ethan, my super sweet hubby, bought me a bottle or two of this lovely gin because I love gin and tonics. And he got me a bottle of this back before we found out that we were pregnant. It and took a little while took, to get here. Yeah. So it was before we were pregnant and it took a while to get here. And literally by the time it arrived, we were pregnant. So I didn't get to try it until meow. And that is what I'm enjoying this fine evening is a gin and tonic. Delish. And it's so delicious and so refreshing, especially on these hundred degree days. It's just that perfect combination of citrus and refresh. Yeah. 1030 a.m. Brisbane, right? Oh. That's Australia. I said yeah, it in the morning. Yeah, yeah. 
I was way off. I thought it was like early, early morning. It's or definitely the not night. morning in Utah, though. No, I'm I'm it's like calling what five thirty. It's either six thirty or five thirty. I don't know how many happen as you're going. So. We have a few other announcements because everyone's always super excited to find out what Ethan's drinking. Tonight, it's all about moi. And this is kind of uh, my Yawa topic, at least. I uh, love raising and whelping puppies. I love all things puppies and have really gotten good at the breeding, whelping, raising, socializing, uh screening puppy buyer side of things. And we want to share that with you tonight. But before we get into that topic of discussion, we have a couple other housekeeping things that we like to talk about first thing. And I also, oh, 635. In Utah. Yeah. So not morning, but not morning. Thanks anyway. Morning. Morning. Everybody that's just tuning in again, Oh, folks. just got it up for evening sessions. Well, I mean, if your days and nights are switched around, then sure. Totally Why makes not? sense. Have Absolutely. Yep. Um, for everybody, again, just tuning in, throw your check up in there. Let us uh, check in, excuse me, in there. Let us know where you're watching from. We appreciate that. Um, we need to jump into this, the announcements. Kat was rolling on that before I interrupted with the what time it is in Utah. But hey, I was interested to know. So... Big announcement for you all. We like to give our people that are loyal Yawa tuner inners and our patrons, which a lot of our patrons tune in on Yawa, some of the insider scoop, if you will, before the rest of the population gets this information. So if you didn't know, we are doing a super awesome Father's Day sale weekend starting Friday, running through Sunday. It'll start Friday at midnight. So I guess, is that Thursday at midnight? Right as you're rolling over into Friday. So Friday at 12.01 um, through Sunday at 12.00, 12.00, I don't know the exact numbers, but basically We're doing a really cool sale. There'll be an email going out to all of our newsletter subscribers, or is that what they are? Subscribers? Subscribe to our newsletter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can get the inside scoop on that if you are signed up for our newsletter, but also we'll be posting social media posts. um, And then if you go to our store, you'll see the announcements as well. Did you want to share what we're doing for that or not? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You're just sitting here like not saying anything. So I was trying not to interrupt. I'm really bad about interrupting and I haven't had enough to drink yet to just start interrupting. So just listening. Okay. So 20% off standing stone hats. Not just this one, all of them. All of them, as Aiden likes to say. All of them. He wants all of them all the time. And then we also have 20% off our easy lead collar combos, whether you're getting a biothane collar or a leather collar or an XL easy lead or a regular easy lead, 20% off, which is pretty substantial savings. And then if you haven't seen, we have a leather can koozie, which is pretty cool, pretty classy with magnets on it. So you can like stick it to stuff. 
and it will stick to stuff with a full beer in it. It's pretty cool. Um, it's got our logo on it. And those are also, are those 20% off too? Yep. Everything. Yeah. 20% off, 20% off, 20% off. And then this is not just for the sale, but it will be ongoing from here on out. Mm-hmm. Uh, free shipping, any order over $125 and not cheap shipping. FYI, we are not second the stuff day. that takes you, you know, 12. Nah, it's not like uh, we'll, two we'll weeks put it there. on the back of a small child and have them walk it to you. Um, it's all FedEx second day air. So in that, that is the, unless somebody can't get FedEx, we will be second daying everything free shipping wise on all orders over $125. And that again, sorry, it's continental United States does not co- include to the folks that are outside of the, the continental U S yeah. which unfortunately includes Alaska and Hawaii, but, um, yeah. shipping is expensive guys. And, uh, shipping is also not always super, um, reliable through certain avenues, USPS. Yeah, the United States Postal <laughs> Service basically sucks. They've been struggle bussing on getting orders fulfilled, shipped, lost, that sort of thing, which then upsets customers, variably so. And 100%, then yeah. they get upset with us, and then we try and fix it. And it's um, one of the reasons that we are very much moving away from USPS as much as possible. Yeah. Sorry, Scott. Uh, we, we will work with you though. The thing that we do have is much better international rates, um, that are through again, FedEx. So stuff won't get lost that we were having a lot of issues with international orders. Um, we sent out a lot of doubled stuff for folks to try and make it right. And yeah, we actually just had a situation that I have to share this because it's just, it's cray cray. So we had a customer that ordered an e-collar and an easy lead from Canada in September of 2020. It wasn't showing up. It wasn't showing up. It wasn't showing up. And they reached out to us saying, Hey, this is not showing up. And we're like, okay, we need to do something. We are so sorry. Um, it says that it's somewhere in Canada, but it hasn't made it to you yet. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to rely on your honesty and we are going to send out another easy lead and e-collar with a shipping label to send back the original one. If it ever shows up, please do that. And so we sent that out and he got it within a few days because we did expedited shipping. Yep. And then in April of 2021. So how many months is that? Three, four, seven months later. His original shipment finally showed up of an easy lead and e-collar. And the guy was nice enough and honest enough to actually send it back like he said he would. Much appreciated. And we just got that back in June. So he received it in April, sent it back to us in June. So the whole rigmarole time frame from September to June, we're talking nine months turnaround time. We could have had a baby in that amount of time. Oh, we did. We did. But um, like I said, crazy USPS mess up there. Absolutely. So a couple other fun things that we want to talk about before we jump into today's topic. First of all, we heard about a few weeks ago that uh, the ads are absolutely ridiculous and y'all have been putting up from with them for a while. And you guys are great. You do super chats. We saw a few super chats already start to come in. 
after we, we've kind of been trying to feel out what the best way to do Yawa is. And what we've come to is a lot of people love the, the live interaction as well as getting their questions answered. So we've moved to a few announcements and then moved into a specific topic, which we will take your suggestions for, as well as come up with some of our own. Talk about that for a little while. And then once we have exhausted that, move into um, answering questions, putting the priority on Super Chat. So if you do for sure want your question ask or excuse me, want your question answered, ask it via a Super Chat on there, and then that will be the order that we get into them afterward. Now, because you all do the Super Chats and have been for weeks, and we really appreciate that, we have cut out advertisements for the live viewing of this show. If you aren't watching it live, sorry, you get ads. Sucks to be you. Join us live every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Now, All of that being said, we do want to thank sponsors. And one of the biggest sponsors that we have is our patrons. All of you that are patrons, we appreciate you. And we did want to do a special recognition because we just had a few people crest into this zone. A Um, special shout out to our $1,000 club. Yeah, the $1,000 club. These are folks that are active patrons currently that have pledged um, via Q and a and all of the process that is Patreon. And for those of you that don't know brief, um, that's our online dog training community where we are set up to answer your questions. If you have questions about your training session, we can answer them via messaging back and forth, or we can set up video exchange where you will actually upload to YouTube, send us the link. We watch your session, give you some feedback. We do phone calls. And then the most valuable option that we do have is live chat where we set up a Google Meets type of thing. We will be face-to-face, as face-to-face as we can, with you watching your session live, giving you direct feedback on, hey, stop doing that, or yeah, that looks good. Keep on it. That's perfect in your session there. So we love all of our patrons, but a special shout out to these top three patrons that are active patrons right now that have pledged through the subscription process over a thousand dollars. And we are going to, um, respect your privacy and only list first and last initial first name and last initial in case you want your privacy. So Andrew R Lee a and David M. So thank you guys so much for being patrons. I don't know if any of them are watching tonight. I hope somebody is, but we, we really definitely want to say you. thank you to y'all. All right. So uh, did that cover just about everything? The last couple of things, which we'll do really quickly, is we are doing training. notes. We have notes because, yeah, we forget stuff otherwise. Or me. we lose track of our train of thought. It's all me. And Ethan interrupts me and distracts me. So then I lose my train of thought. Pretty but much. I wanted to let you guys all know, people have been asking, when are we doing training seminars? What are our training seminars going to be? Announce them. And we have been waiting because of COVID beforehand. And then also we had a new little boy just joining the family. Um, and so we were trying to figure out when things are going to be a little more settled to be able to do these training seminars. So Without further ado, we're going to announce them here. They're going to go out in our next newsletter. They're going to get announced on our website, which is where they're going to be able to be signed up for. And then we're going to announce them also on Patreon. So all the places you guys want to know about them and then social media, of course, as well. So our first seminar of the year will be 
September 24th and 25th, or no, July, July 24th and 25th, sorry, July 24th and 25th, and it's going to be hot. So it's going to be an indoor training seminar on the trained retrieve process and formal retrieving work. So indoors in our wonderful, nice training facility at our kennel. So it'll be air conditioned and comfortable. So if you're interested, make sure to sign up um, soon because like I said, once we get those up on the website, there's a limited number of spots available, especially for an indoor only training seminar, because there's only so much space that we have available for things like that. So we want to make sure that, um, the people that are interested get signed up so that we can help you guys out. Next training seminar will be August. Yes. People, August 21st and 22nd. And that training seminar will be outside. There may be some inside time for Q&A and things like that. But uh, we are going to be going over upland training, intro training, obedience training, um, all around bird dog training. And then September, yes, that's right, September 18th and 19th will be our last seminar of the year because then we're going to be getting into hunting season. And that's what we do. We hunt. Ethan hunts all of the hunting. And so we don't want to miss out on that. There will not be training seminars come hunting season. So again, that seminar will also be very similar to the one in August. It'll be outdoor. We'll be going over upland hunting training. Um, if you have questions on obedience, we can customize some of the seminar time specifically for what you and your dog need help with. Uh, we have a couple little things that I want to touch on. That was great uh, that I've seen some questions pop through. One of which is from Daryl. He said, why is Ethan the poster? I'm guessing there was a typo, but poster child for DT Systems Super Pro Remote Dummy Launcher on YouTube. And yet you don't stock them in your shop. The answer to that is the Super Pro Remote Dummy Launcher does not exist anymore. RDL, yeah. No, they've stopped. Uh, they've stopped doing them. Hard DT for them systems. to get the supplies. Yep, DT Systems might actually have a few of them left in stock. So, or some random places might have some in stock, but I can't order them. So, we sold the ones that we had a long time ago, and I haven't been able to restock. Um, we do have the handheld version on our. Whoop, there you go, website, but uh, not the RDLs. The other is Scott said newsletters. That's something you can sign up a separate from Patreon. It is. You can sign up right on our website. It's free. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a newsletter comes out once a month. We've been a little lax the last month and a half because we have had a lot on our plate with a new little baby and a toddler and trying to continue running the business. So it's been a little delayed. Yep. The same list will actually get uh, ads when we roll those out through the newsletter list. It's the same, same Same, 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 same. Um, And then last but not least, the... um, That's it. Sorry. Okay. Go ahead. So then the last thing that we want to talk about for our patrons, something that we've been talking about implementing in a for quite a while. Specification again. This is for patrons only, but I know there's a lot of y'all here, so we wanted to give you the heads up. It'll be announced on Patreon as well, and that's where we're going to put the announcement and ask some questions. But we want to do a Google Hangout, which is where all of you patrons 
um, can be involved in kind of a live Yawa style type of thing, but just for patrons. And we are going to post an announcement about that because we want to be open to dates and times that work for as many people as we can make it work for. I know we've done Yawas every week at 7.30 on Wednesdays for ever basically. And that's probably not going to change for us. Uh, it works out well, but for the Google Hangouts thing, we will be open to some suggestions. Obviously Wednesdays at seven 30, probably not going to work. Nah. Um, and we are going to limit it at this point to once a month. Um, so we'll ask for some feedback from you guys on what your suggestions and input is on date and time so that we can get as many people involved in that as possible. FYI, what a Google Hangout would be, would be FaceTime. It's direct interaction with everybody where you can, I mean, we're catered only to you. We won't have any talking points. It'll just be answer questions, BS, ask us the the personal stuff or the whatever you want. It's just uh, some time to hang out, as the name implies, and we want to do that a little bit extra special for you. Awesome. So... Without further ado, do we have any? We've, we've further dude. Yeah, there were a lot of announcements this time. Sorry, yeah, it guys. Seems like there usually are. Yeah, there's just always so much. But now it's time to get into the nitty gritty, the topic that you've all been waiting for, at least the topic that I'm super excited about talking about puppies. Uh huh. Breeding, whelping, raising a litter of puppies. Now, if you guys don't know, we actually have two full series on the YouTube channel that show how we have raised, whelped, and developed a litter of puppies. And in one of those series, the Breezy series, we actually showed the whelping process while she was in labor, while she was giving birth, how we handled that, what we do when puppies are being born. And that's available on YouTube. Definitely check it out if you have questions. And then you can follow along with those playlists basically on uh, every step that we take through the whelping and raising process with our puppies from worming schedules to weighing puppies to supplementing puppies. When we start puppy mush, how we socialize puppies, um, how we help wean the puppies from mom and then outside time, teaching them to potty, crate training. And we are going to be doing a new whelping raising series with a puppy and or with a litter of puppies in our new whelping facility very soon. Um, we have upcoming litters that we plan on doing this with. It's just a matter of having enough um, help with the children to make sure that we have uh, ample videographer and me. <laughs> because let's face it. The, the whelp master. I do most of the puppy stuff. So oh, absolutely. As well as we have a ton of help from our team. Um, Raising and whelping a litter of puppies, which you will find out through talking with us and hearing about this here. It's a lot of work, people, and doing it yourself is very time consuming and having a really great team to help take a little bit of the load off, help with some of the responsibilities makes a big difference, especially if you have outside of the home job uh, or multiple hats that you wear at your job like we do. Um, and it, it makes a big difference to have enough people on board because puppies can change within a few hours. You've got puppies that you're like, these guys are doing great. We're off to awesome start. And then just all of a sudden 
something goes wrong, a puppy starts feeling ill, and a few hours makes a big difference about getting them the supportive care that they need to help them feel better or getting them to the vet if necessary to get the proper medication or medical treatment that they need um, because puppies are... basically not full dogs yet. They don't have a full immune system. They um, can't take care of themselves. They need all of that from mom as well as us. So when we talk about raising and whelping a litter of puppies, we have a couple things that that involves. Um, We are there for the breeding process. We are there for the whelping process. And we are there through the stages of that socialization and raising those puppies, as well as we are very involved with finding the right families for our puppies. So um, if you can't get the gist of it, this is a very time-consuming process that you need to be able to commit to. And I'm going to throw out my brutally honest comment because I can. You're going to do that now? Oh, okay. I'm not going to do that now. Do I'm- that now. Uh, Ethan's brutally honest comment can come at the very end, okay? Okay. My brutally honest comment is breeding dogs is time-consuming, and there are risks involved with that, and ultimately, your dog could die. Your entire litter of puppies could die, and it's not all sunshines and rainbows, and it's not all you know, this is for the kids and the great learning experience. It's life and death. And if you guys aren't willing to risk that, you shouldn't be breeding. And if you don't know what you're doing, you should definitely reach out to a mentor before you start this process, because there is so much that can potentially go wrong. And catching those things early is going to be the difference between life and death for your dog and your puppies. And if the dog is, you know, part of your family, like ours are losing one of them would be completely devastating. Losing an entire litter of puppies, completely devastating. And so it's not for the faint of heart. We luckily have never lost a mama dog. And I hope to God we never do because that would be completely awful, but we have lost puppies. I mean, it is, part of the process. It is how nature works and it's devastating. I'm not going to say we've seen it all because there's no way to say we've seen it all, but we've seen a lot. And or heard through people reaching out to us for help and advice and situations where we're like, oh my goodness, um, that is completely awful. For example, we've had someone reach out to us that they had a litter of puppies The mom had to go in for an emergency C-section and they lost the entire litter except for one puppy and then mom died. So they were left with an orphaned singleton puppy at a day old. What do you do with an orphaned singleton puppy at a day old? Well, they need to eat every two hours. Every two hours for Mm. the first almost two to three weeks. Then you can gradually start introducing puppy mush. But again, that's not... They also need their body parts stimulated probably every 30 minutes to an hour throughout the process. That's licking. That helps them go to the bathroom. That's what mom's doing for them. So you need to be doing that. Yeah, as well as keeping them clean, keeping them warm, keeping them socialized. 
there is a lot that mom does that you are now mom. And then also the socialization aspect of things once they get a little bit older to properly socialize. I mean, we just had puppy shock that was a singleton puppy and we were lucky and fortunate enough to have another litter within 10 days of her that she could fit in with fairly well to socialize with, but not everyone, especially if this is, you know, I just have one litter, um, a year or one litter every couple years will have that opportunity to have a dog or a litter close to your puppy's age to help socialize. So those are the scary things that can happen. And, um, when people reach out to us to say, Hey, I'm interested in breeding my dog. Do you offer stud services? Or we want to get a puppy from you because we plan on breeding and all of these questions. And I, um, not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm not trying to be the fun police. I'm not trying to take you from here to here. Um, it's just real talk. It's real folks. talk. And I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if I said, oh yeah, have a litter of puppies. It's great. Everything will be fine. Breed to our stud. Do this, do that. You're going to have no problem selling your puppies. That would not be a responsible thing for me to do because there is the chance that you could lose mom, you could lose the litter, um, as well as finding good homes for those puppies is an important part of this. Um, All we, right, mama, you are, you, your soapbox is about to fall over. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Let's start on the process. Everybody gets it. Breeding's not for the faint of heart. There are a lot of things that can happen involved with it. Now, some folks are still interested in that. Let's go ahead and talk about from okay. the beginning, how the process works. This is probably the part that I'm involved with the most. Um, cue the music. Bow, bow. I can't even do it, right? But uh, cue the sexy time music, all right, folks? So um, first of all, first and foremost, you need to have a dog that is ready to be bred, okay? We hear about accidental breedings and different things along those lines and some magic number of two years old. Well, the fact of the matter is that is not the magic number, first of all, but you do need a dog that is mature. Now, there's a handful of different things that come into play with that, one of which is heat cycles, okay? Heat cycles themselves, typically they say two heat cycles is a female's sexual maturity or overall maturity. Now, at the same time, we had a, a female cycle really early, six months old, and then closer to like 12 to 13 months old. I'm not breeding her at 13 months old. Um, two months is, or excuse me, two years is a fairly decent window of full maturity. But if I have a female come in that's closer to 20 months old, we're still in that mature window. And it's not, it's not a hard, fast 24 months is the requirement. And the fact of the matter is, it's easier on young women to have children and it's easier on younger dogs to have children. Don't wait till they're five or six or seven and go, oh, by the way, we're thinking maybe we should have a litter. Doing their first litter at that point. Yeah. Way harder on them then. So you have a female, you've decided in your mind, this is a dog that we need to pass on genetics or a male. We need to pass on this male or this female's genetics. What are some of the things that we should be doing? Excuse me. We would be looking at brucellosis testing for both males and females, which is a canine STD. We want to make sure that they're both clear because yep. it can lead to sterility. Um, as well as with females, we want to make sure that the timing of the breeding is proper. 
a lot of old school mentality is, well, we breed them at day seven through day 10 or day seven through day 14. And that's not necessarily the case. Just like with women, when they ovulate is completely different. Um, and it can be different from one breeding to the next breeding with the same female. It can change. And we keep pretty close records on all of our females that have been bred. We pull blood to get progesterone levels so that we know when the dogs are ovulating. And then that's when we time our breedings. We try and do those breedings every 36 hours apart. Typically, we're only able to get two, maybe three ties in that time frame of when the female is prime time, ovulating, ready to be bred, and cooperative to that breeding. Sure. Absolutely. And... Um, like I said, it doesn't have to be day seven. It doesn't have to be day 10. Allie, who normally is bred, like I said, we keep pretty close tabs on females. She's usually bred around day 13, give or take a few days. Want to know what day she was bred this litter? Day 32. I was shocked. I just kept going, pull more blood, pull more blood, run another progesterone. Is this dog ever going to rise so that we can get her bread. And finally she did, but not until day 32. And then I was like, okay, well we got to get her out to Iowa to get her bread meow. And once we did that, then I did my calculations of after 28 days from that initial breeding, we can do an ultrasound to confirm pregnancy. And it was like kind of doubtful if she was actually going to have taken because she was so off from her normal, normal heat schedule and cycle. And we did an ultrasound and she was definitely pregnant. So timing is very important and not just going, oh, well, this is when she was bred last time. This will definitely be when she needs to be bred this time. Because like Allie just proved to us, that is not the case. Yes. And we missed one step in the beginning there. So we have said male and female, male or female. And what we need to be able to determine is if they are suited both from a health standpoint, sorry, yes. as well as a you know family orientation, hunting standpoint, or if you aren't hunting dogs, it's not a requirement, but it's it's a dog that you say this dog fits. It doesn't have any of the disqualifications. Disqualifications for us are going to be people or dog or aggression. Okay. The aside from that is if dogs don't hunt, they don't make our string. And if they aren't good parts of the family, they don't calm down. They don't settle down. They aren't just super busy and super high strung. Too high end, right? They're not going to make the cut either. They've got to. We have quite a few dogs here. We need the dogs to be easy to take care of and livable. Now, we have those things figured out. Now, we need to do some routine checks. Um, In the past, Kat and I have done... OFAIs, we've done hips and we've done uh, elbows on some of the dogs. Now there are more tests that can be done. And what we are doing now is getting every single one of our breeding stock. It's uh surf, sort of surf, chick, chick certification. There you go. Chick, excuse me, surf. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's so- the and that and involves some DNA testing, cells. seeing some more specialists, um, a cardiac specialist specifically. And each breed has their own specific criteria that they have to be tested for to be chick certified. And GSPs have certain things that we are looking for, which can become a factor for that 24 months or two years specification because 
Elbows can't be done until the dogs are 24 months old. Can't be, yeah, they, they can't can be certified. They can do preliminary checks. So they can say, currently we don't have any, but we won't certify them until the dog is a little older. But OFA.org or search OFA chick certification. You can look that up and you can find your specific breed. If you don't have short hairs, you can see what the health um, testing that is recommended for them to do. Once you get all of those things done, you get a chick number. Now, the the slightly confusing thing about those chick numbers are you get a chick certification number whether your dog passes the test or not. It's just once you complete all of them. So once if somebody says, oh, my dog's chick certified, take a look at that. It's all then public record, if you will. You can pull up their number and look and see, oh, well, they actually have hip dysplasia or whatever. They shouldn't be bred. And I shouldn't get a dog from them. But Short hairs specifically, extremely healthy. There are some lines that have issues. The dogs that we breed have very few of them. We do the tests. We find nothing almost ever. And we had some specific lines that we were having issues with a long time ago. And we've since eliminated all of those things. That's making the hard decisions. So we have the dogs picked out. They are now healthy. Now we're moving into the breeding process, which is what Kat talked about with timing and making sure that the dogs are healthy from the brucellosis or STD standpoint aspect of things, which can be passed by communal dog environments or from mom to puppies if they happen to magically make that happen. So um, there's a lot of options with that. And then now we've got dogs bred. What's the timeline? So once the dogs are bred, and last thing with that is typically the male come or the female goes to the male. So if you're looking at getting your female bred to an outside male, you're traveling to that male. So that they're as comfortable as possible to make the breeding happen. That's average. Yep. That'd be yep. the average situation. Then once the female is bred, like I said before, after 28 days, you can confirm pregnancy via an ultrasound. Uh, Allie's we did at 32 days because of the holiday weekend with Memorial Day. So we couldn't get in with our vet. And honestly, waiting to 32 days is maybe going to be my norm because that was awesome to watch how um, much clearer those ultrasounds were and how much more detailed they were because... Peter's it, rolling. If Peter was watching this right now, he'd be like... I've only told her that for probably four or five years. Yeah. And I look, I typically have just been like, well, I want early confirmation and they can tell that at 28 days. Sure they can. But Absolutely. you can see so much more at 32 and it's more exciting and fun. And yeah, you can see the full puppy and it's like head and movement and a little sack. heart dip, 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 going in there. It was, it was cool. really cool. And um, then at, 55 days, you can do an x-ray to try and get a puppy count uh, because that's when the bones have calcified enough of those puppies to actually get a count. And they're looking for skulls and spines and they want those numbers to equal each other. The calcification process starts 10 days before the puppies are born. And given that a couple days, that's where that 55 comes in, gives you the best chance of being able to see them. And we've done a couple x-rays in the past, but they're just so uncertain for us. Uh, there are you have range, a big litter. Yeah. A big litter. Um, typically they say, well, we can for sure see this many and then you may have that many or you may have more. Uh, we did a couple x-rays with 
a couple litters and they're like, yeah, I can see five puppies. She ended up having 10. So that was, um, not super accurate. So we haven't done that. Now, if you've got a vet with a super quality x-ray machine that has a lot of, um, adjustments being able to be made to those x-rays for contrast, you might be able to get a more accurate puppy count, but we have not done a ton of those x-rays just because they've been so inconsistent for us in the past. And then puppies are born approximately 63 days after the breeding happens. Um, some, a lot of our litters go closer to 61 days. Um, but then anywhere in that point, puppies are going to be healthy, fully formed, fully developed. Lungs are good. And, um, you need to be ready. We actually start taking the temperatures of our females approximately a week before their due date because baseline to get a baseline as well as that temperature drops. Normally our females temperatures drop in that 98 degree mark because they are normally at about 101.5 degrees. Um, but that's again, why we've done that temperature check up to a week before so that we could get a baseline for what that specific females normal baseline temperature is while they're pregnant. And then once we see that drop, we can typically expect puppies within 24 hours. Once the puppies hit the ground, that's where the brunt, real work begins. That's where the real work begins, but it's where the brunt of those series um, are. And I'm going to go ahead and throw, I'll go ahead and throw playlist links here in the the comments. Holy cow. My Dalmatian had 15 puppies. That's a lot of puppies. That's insane. Yes. That's a lot of puppies. Um, and we, like Ethan said, he's going to put those links for those puppy playlists, um, puppy whelping playlists here and pin them to the top. So you guys have those. But once that process starts, we actually stay with the moms as soon as they start showing signs, early signs of labor, which include panting, nesting, um, just um, those dogs being a little uncomfortable, they'll start pacing or they won't want to settle. They'll start changing positions quite a bit. They'll end up feeling like they are um, needing to go to the bathroom more often, things like that. And we're going to stay with them that entire time. People comment on our videos, just leave her be, let her do her thing. Well, our dogs don't want to be left be. They don't want us to let them do their thing. Um, they get much more restless if we're not there with them. They are very social dogs that are part of our families and they feel comforted by us being there, helping them stay calm. Um, and some of our dogs will actually refuse to eat prior to, um, late active labor starting. Not all of them will. And so I typically withhold food once active labor is really started because, once they start pushing, once they start having those contractions, I don't need them vomiting up kibble all over the place, which is typically what would happen. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. As well as once they do start laboring and once they do start having those puppies um, and cleaning them up, they eat the placentas, which gives them a lot of nutrients that they need uh, for milk production, as well as the energy to continue labor. And so I'm not worried about them not having enough food and stuff in their systems to be able to continue that laboring process. Um, then once that laboring starts, we keep very close record of the puppies being born from times, dates, 
weights of those puppies, weighting weights of those puppies is really important, especially if you have these large litters that people are talking about, 15 puppies, you know, 16 puppies. Those puppies are going to be taxing on a mama and their milk production, especially if their milk hasn't fully come in right when those puppies are born. And we need to keep a really close eye on those puppies' weights every day at least through the first week. If you've got a small litter of four puppies or three puppies or one puppy, like we had with shock, uh, we still kept track of those weights for the first week. But after that, it was like, yes, she's getting fat and sassy. We can do weekly weights. Now, if I've got a bigger litter where things are a little bit touch and go, and some of those dog puppies aren't gaining as much as I'd like to see in that first week, I'm going to keep those daily weights for another week. And potentially add supplementation as well. If I'm not seeing good enough weight gain and good enough weight gain, that is so variable because it depends on the initial size of those puppies, how um, much those, how many puppies there are. It's going to depend on the breed of the puppy. It just, it depends. So it's not necessarily, you need to see 50 grams of weight gain every single day. Um, No, not necessarily, but you need to see some weight gain. And if you see a ton of weight loss or only a couple grams of weight gain every day, you're going to want to start supplementing. And for supplementing, we actually use human puppy bottles, um, human puppy bottles, human baby bottles for the puppies with a newborn nipple. And then we use Espelac puppy formula. Um, you can use goat's milk, you can make up your own homemade concoction, but honestly that Espelac puppy formula has been formulated so that it meets the needs of a newborn puppy. So if you also includes probiotics, yeah, if you can get your hands on that, that's going to be the best option. Um, as well as continuing to let them nurse on mama. They're just not probably getting enough from mom in those initial few days. So, so we have puppies. Yep. And they keeping are keeping track of their stats. We're keeping track of their stats. The sheet that we actually use that for is available. Um, Kat designed that, put that all together for what she wanted to see out of it. So you can you can pick that up on our store if you're whelping a litter and you like the organization of that. But as the puppies develop, a lot of things happen. We do. Um, biosensor training, and that happens for the first uh, 14 days. Yep, just over two weeks. And um, depending on your breed, we actually have the tails and dew claws removed between three and five days old. Ethan typically does that. I have done it as well. I'm a a tail and claw pro. I tell you what. Done. And there's a lot of comments on those videos as well about it being cruel or inhumane. Well, I will tell you what is way more cruel and inhumane than a puppy at three days old having a tail tied and dew claws removed, a full-grown dog beating the crap out of their tail and having to have it amputated because it's constantly getting traumatized and infected over and over because it's um, got happy tail is basically what it's called. Or getting a dew claw ripped off running through the brush in the cover. And for those people that say, well, those dew claws help them pull themselves out of ice and snow and whatever, I have honestly not ever seen that be effective. Um, but if that's your opinion, then that is just fine as well. So we have puppies that are claws and tails removed. It's going to be more of a breed standard thing, what you're doing there. And then... Puppies are developing, super dog training for the first two weeks. Then once we hit into that three-week category, that's when we start the puppy mush 
side of things. Yes. We show that, we pulverize, powderize, grind up, make dog food completely powdered, no crunchies, no things. Then we go ahead and <laughs> um, <Sorry>. we. <laughs> Okay, so then once you've got puppies at uh, three weeks old, we start the mush process. It's ground food. We use the same puppy formula. Milk replacer milk formula. Replacer, some warm water, water. Warm, mix it around so it's slushy like Mrs. Pretty, Redmond used pretty to Pretty liquidy is what we want at that beginning because the puppies are going to be mostly just lapping it up and yep. they've only had complete liquid mama's milk. So we want to make that transition as simple as possible. And then over the next weeks, that puppy mush is going to transition. It's going to transition from being almost completely liquidy to thicker, more soupy to less puppy formula, more kibble in there. And then to the point where it's completely hard kibble by the time that they're going home at eight weeks old, that they are crunching on their own. And then they're also obviously getting access to water at that same time. Um, just a couple of things too. Most people, like I said in the beginning, don't know that females are only pregnant for 63 days. They probably also don't know that puppies are born with their eyes closed and they don't open until approximately two weeks old. Um, those puppy teeth come in around three weeks old. Uh, their ears start to open around the same time that their eyes start to open. Um, and those are just some of those really cool things that people don't always know about. They're usually um, up and starting to wobble around at that, you know, two-week mark as well into the three-week mark where they're getting more coordination, which is important because they're going to need to, you know, not fall face first into their puppy mush over and over and over. Once you have puppies hit that about three-week mark and we start food involved with that, that's when mom pretty much does a, a really good job cleaning up after them. And that kind of stops. It gets to be more output than mom can keep up with or that we want mom to try and keep up with. And um, so then you've got a lot more mess to clean up. Then you're changing, cleaning your whelping box uh, anywhere from two to six times a day, depending on exactly the size of the litter and the mom and the puppies and all of the things, maybe even more than that sometimes. Um and then it gets more and more involved through four and five and six weeks. Uh, we introduce toys. We incorporate new environmental things from a stuff inside the box. And the other one of those uh, fun facts, because we're, we're rolling like three to six weeks. There's not, there's big changes that happen from the puppies, but a majority of it's happening inside the box. And a lot of it's just mess related. The other side of it is between three and six weeks, you're, you go from almost soupy-based formula and dog food mixture to primarily crunchies-ish. I went over that. Okay. Sorry, I missed that. The But that three to six-week window is when that stuff happens. And then you also, with, I don't know, you... We typically start puppies going outside for That's potty breaks. Uh, Your brain's awesome. Thanks, honey. I know what you're thinking and I know what I'm thinking and I can actually uh, articulate that most of the time. But we start trying to let the puppies go outside because like Ethan was saying, the mess starts to become unreal. Lot. Unreal. Moms can't keep up with it. It's constant changing 
whelping box bedding. And also we want these puppies to start understanding and learning clean habits of, Hey, I eat food inside. I go out and I go to the bathroom and I'm going to get that opportunity. So I might as well hold on to this until I get an opportunity to go outside. And these puppies really, what goes in comes out very quickly. So they eat their meal, the poop is coming. So we get them outside pretty quickly. Now, depending on the time of year, they can only be out for a very short amount of time because it's colder or it's wet and rainy and we need to get them inside for continued playtime, but still learning that process of, hey, I'm going to be going outside. And typically that starts four to five weeks old, um, definitely by six weeks old, though they're going outside. Again, that's dependent on time of the year. And then also we have a warming schedule with the puppies, a vaccination schedule with the puppies, We microchip our puppies as well. So when we're doing their six-week vaccinations, they're also getting microchipped. Um, And our warming schedule is typically four, six, and eight weeks. We do fecal samples with our dogs and our puppies to make sure that they don't have any worms or any parasites. Um, Ethan is a sleepy trainer. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. It's possible. Um. And then as much socialization as we can offer these puppies, because that is super important. People always ask, what can I do with my puppy when I get them home? Well, other than starting obedience training, continued socialization is so important because we want these puppies to be as bold and confident as possible before they go home so that in getting into their new environment, they can eat well, they can sleep well, they can go outside to go to the bathroom. Because if you've got a puppy that's shut down and scared and just in this little shell, they're not going to eat really well. And then they're going to lose weight. They're not going to go outside to go to the bathroom. So then you're going to struggle with potty training um, and crate training. And um, you may think, oh, well, I've got it made in the shade. My puppy's been so good for the first few days that they've been home. Well, that's because they've just been really scared out of their mind and they are overwhelmed to the extreme. And then they start to finally feel a little more comfortable and they come into their own. And that's when they start throwing a royal fit about being crated and other things. So um, we try and send home really well socialized puppies that are well adjusted, not overwhelmed by new things. Um, And that socialization process is part of handling those puppies through the beginning of starting with biosensor training to nail trimming every week, to handling them for their puppy pictures, to taking them outside, to having them inside their whelping box area, to outside in our open training area where they get to play in a bigger area with more toys. Um, And then socializing with their mom is also important as well. Typically we are done fully done weaning those puppies by about six weeks old. Mom is done nursing them and she has gone through a slow weaning process of she starts kind of typically weaning them mostly herself where she's not laying with them constantly anymore. We've had some moms though that would literally lay there for the puppies until they're eight weeks old. Um, and we help them with that weaning process then where we're like, okay, mom, you only get to wean or nurse these puppies for so long that I'm pulling you out and you get your own space and puppies get their own space. Then you get to go back in with them for a little while. And then we gradually extend that amount of time. They're still with them overnight, but with, with them less and less throughout the day until they get to the point where they're fully weaned. Once puppies are fully weaned, we send them home in eight weeks. Now we've had a lot of conversations about that specifically But, uh, and as far as when puppies should go home and when they shouldn't go home and all of those things that play into that. But, um, 
here at Standing Snow Kennels, we do a puppy pickout send home day that's included in that playlist that I put in there. Should have been. You didn't pin it. Um, I was trying to pin it and I couldn't find the... It's the three dots over on the side. Uh, I was just just a tiny bit too far. All right. Mm -hmm. Pinned to the top. Okay. So there's the link to the directly to the playlist. Um, but we show that send home process in that playlist so you can see, excuse me, so you can see what happens during that, but we help pick puppies with people to make sure that we have the the best opportunity to match the right dog. Once we've already done a, a pretty detailed, what are you looking for before we take deposits for that specific litter? So that is kind of the, the start to finish in a nutshell puppies, picking dogs, breeding, the whelping and raising process, all broken down. We had some other questions here, and this is one that I, I have to jump on because- it, I wanted to talk yes, on that one. Yes, I, I saw it come through here, and it's something that's, um, it says, uh, but that's that's the, the brunt of the breeding stuff. The overview, for the sure. The overview, yeah. So we've got the playlist. We want you to know that we're going to be creating another playlist. If you have questions specifically about what we're talking about here, throw them in there. Super chats are coming through first. The And like I mentioned before, um, you know, if this is going to be your first litter and you're trying to figure it out and make sure that you're doing it right, find a mentor. If you don't have a mentor, whether that's the breeder that you got your dogs from or somebody else that's been a breeder, you can always utilize us as mentors through Patreon. Patreon, I know we talk about it as an online dog training community, but really we've helped people on Patreon that have been breeding dogs or having a litter for the first time. And we can be used as a resource for that as well. You get to ask us questions. You can send us videos of your puppies. You can ask how you do do claws. You can say, hey, I want to be in the live tier so that you can watch me do the do claws and you can tell me if I'm doing something wrong while it's happening. Um, we are happy to help you on Patreon as well. 100%. Uh, this one I got to jump on because it's a problem that uh, we hear on occasion. A... Uh, Listed recess. What's the other word? There's another way. And I read that. Hidden. Hooded. Hooded. There we go. Hooded vulva B- or recessed vulva. B- basically. Blee blue. Blee blue. Blee blue. Bell blello. Sorry. Bell blello. We suck. You. Okay. So recessed or hooded vulva. It's when there's extra skin that goes over the vulva and then stuff gets trapped in there. And that is... Can potentially cause UTIs. And most of the dogs have constant UTIs. And then they end up with a a surgery to remove that excess skin. Okay, the first heat cycle is going to take care of Most of the time, take care of it. Most of the time. And... Surgery is typically not necessary. Yeah, it kind of sucks... Antibiotics will help. And I tell people um, a lot of times female puppies have the hardest time with UTIs because when they squat down to the ground, their vulva touches the ground and collects extra um, bacteria and things like that that can cause those infections. And though it may be a little extra step or pain in the bottom, you can use just a little baby diaper wipe and wipe your puppy's vulva 
when she's done going potty and that can really help with some of the collecting of that bacteria, dirt, things like that, and eliminate some of that UTI issue. Yeah. Help clean it. It's way better than a surgery. And typically that first heat cycle completely eliminates the problem all the way together, <laughs> all the way around. Yeah. So, sorry. We really butchered your YouTube username thing. Yeah. All right. So that's breeding for the week. Do you have a brutally honest comment to add or did I get on my soapbox enough for the both of us? I'm going to say right now, folks, I'm going to go on the record and say that I will never, ever, ever. Let's throw two or three more evers in there. I think you get the gist ever tell Kat what my brutally honest comment is before the actual episode, because Exactly what I told her, which was not what she told me she was going to say. I said that exact same thing in. No, you didn't. I said the words to you, which are. If you want to breed dogs, folks, you need to be willing to lose your female. That is that is as brutally honest as I can come down to, which is what you said. It's just fine. That's brutal. That's honest. And we both. And we agree with it. Hundred yes. percent. The other side of it that I want to throw out there is this is this is this is my real talk about breeding. Not every dog should be bred. Period. Not every dog is fit to be bred. Period. There are um, good dogs and bad dogs in every breed. Not all of them should be bred. We probably we have a. a a quality program. I don't categorize anything I do as the best in the country. I like to say that we're good, but I, I don't think that highly of myself. Let's go with that. Um, and our breeding program, Kat and I wash out probably five to 10 dogs, give or take, before we keep one. Now, over the last 13 years of working through short hairs and working on this, We've come down some more lines that we're getting more consistent with the quality of the specific dogs that we're interested in looking at keeping. But still, there are dogs that we wash out in a couple of year, probably uh, on the road to what is the next best thing or what continues to raise that bar for us and our program. Um, because you should always be trying to improve the breed. That is our That's goal. That's what we're trying to that do, is our goal. as well as. Um, not turn a blind eye to faults in the dog, whether that's health related or kennel blind is what it's referred to. Kennel blind. Um, just because we produced it doesn't mean that it should be part of our breeding program either. It's a lump of gold. So the, the next thing with that is, um, and the, probably the last thing that I have to say is with the kennel blind comments specifically, the number one thing that I ask people, uh, if you call and say, hey, I want to breed to one of your dogs, the first question I'm going to have for you so you can be prepared if you do want to call us is, what is one thing, one, one thing that you would change about your dog, male or female, whatever it is, what is it? Name it. I will tell you the number one answer that I get is nothing. I love everything about them. That right there is the first step in saying that you are not ready to breed dogs because you are not being honest about what your dog is. If you're saying there's nothing that I would change about that dog, you're telling me that that dog is perfect and there is no such thing as a perfect dog. If you can't be honest about what the dog is and you can't look at the dog objectively 
and say, these are the things we could be better here, then you are not, you and your dog are not ready to be bred. And when you're able to you be, not be ready, you are not ready to breed dogs and the dog's not ready to be bred. There you go. Um, because not every dog is perfect and it's no such thing as a perfect we dog. We want not to a, know what you would like none. Zero. to potentially improve upon so that we can That's what help that question's make about. a suggestion of what dog from our breeding program would be a good fit for you because we know our dogs and we also know that they aren't perfect and that they aren't, we always are trying to improve the breed. And Let me give you some examples. Okay. Next, one thing that you would change about him. Just one. Nothing. I know there's a He's long list. I know there's way. a long list, but one. Name one thing. I uh, just one. <laughs> he he uh, is very headstrong. Yeah, yeah. So that falls right I into. I would make him a little more independent, or a little more cooperative. Excuse me. A little me. more cooperation, right? That's a good thing to add into a bird dog. Okay, so my turn, right? My okay. favorite dog in the whole world that I talk about all the time. Vex. Yes, right? What is one thing that I would change about him? Um, he, from a hunting pattern standpoint, is a bit of a yo-yo dog, okay? He runs out and then he checks back in. And that running out and checking back in is a good thing and a bad thing all at the same time. So if I could get him to stay as cooperative as he is, and stay in the range that he is without having to come all the way back in to say, hey, dad, <laughs> I'm still here. Which is very interesting because Vex is out of Nix. Mm -hmm. And I would say that Vex is actually almost overly cooperative. Correct. And Nix is overly independent. Another thing that I would change about him is his size. He is borderline small for a male. He like in his fighting weight, which would be lean down, right? Ready for action here is just on the 60 on the dot. If you get him wet before you throw him on the scale, he is borderline small. Give him a full belly and everything. He's just borderline small. Now, some people may say, Hey, I like small dogs. Well, I'm trying to maintain what the breed standard is, which is an important part. This is a, a big pet peeve. So there you go. Here's the next brutally honest comment, if you will. If you plan to breed a specific breed, fall within the breed standard. Okay. If you don't have any desire to fall within the breed standard, Pick a breed that fits what you want. Don't try and make something new out of something that has a standard that fits within the standard, right? So Vex falls within the standard 100%. But you breed a smaller dog to a smaller dog. You create smaller dogs and you fall down that line. And all of a sudden, then you're breeding pocket pointers or sub 40 pound short hairs, which again, doesn't fall into the breed standard for size requirements or what they're supposed to be able to do as a breed. I'm done. Moving on to super chats then because Mike dropped. We got super chats. That's what people want to hear. Let's go let's to that. Scrolling on up to the very top because uh we have Thanks for listening to that crap, guys. Yeah. yeah. We have the first super chat that was asked before we even went live. So 
Starting there from Julie Kaser, GSP's Elite Freya. Hello. Are Are you sure we should do that one or should we go to this one here first? That was $20. That's a hell of a, a super chat. It's Go to that one. No, do them in order. No, we're going in, because if we bounce all over the place, we're going to get Just do them in order, this the thing. We're doing it in this order. You go right here. It, Ethan Stop. Michael. Let me show you. Let me show you. Right here. It keeps track of it all right here. Yeah, it keeps track of it, but we have to scroll back and forth and back and forth in. Okay, do, well, you made that thing. really small now. I made it bigger now. Okay. Can you see it okay? Hello. Want to know, is chewing bumpers bad or okay for a 12-week-old when she retrieves it and brings it back? And two, she's a panic. She's panicky for water, goes crazy when the other dogs drink, or she hears it. Normal. So, first question, if chewing is chewing bumpers good or bad? Bad. Bad. Because anything that your puppy is doing, they're conditioning themselves to. If they're chewing on a bumper, they're going to chew on any retrieving object, including a bird. And that mouthing habit is going to be very, 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 very hard to eliminate. And that is probably one of the biggest reasons that we end up having to do trained retrieves with dogs that come in for training because they have had bumpers that they get to chew on or squeaky toys that they've gotten for retrieving toys or tennis balls that they use. And you get a dog that's got this really hard mouth, mouthing and rolling behavior that we need to eliminate so that they can be non-sloppy retrievers. So definitely eliminating that as an opportunity for them is going to be important. Number one thing that causes bad mouth issues is tennis balls. So if you're using tennis balls, just quietly slink away and throw all your tennis balls away. Yes. Panicky for water. So I'm taking that as like obsessive about water and has to tank and drink when she hears it um, or sees another dog drinking it. Puppies, a lot of times we call them water buffaloes because they do. They just want to tank on water and they'll get into like a cycle where they're just, I feel like they're not even thirsty anymore, but the water's there and they're drinking and they can't stop the cycle and they're just lap, 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 lap. Well, you have to break the cycle for them and interrupt that behavior so that they can go, oh yeah, I'm not thirsty anymore and my tummy's full. A lot of times we shoo them away and say, do you still want any water? And then if it becomes a problem where if the dogs want to drink a lot and we don't ever have any issues with potty accidents, then drink what you want. But if they start having potty accidents, then we regulate more. Yeah. So great questions. It can be pretty normal though that tanking up yeah, on water. Yeah, puppies like water. It's probably more normal for puppies to be excessive water drinkers than it is for them to be like completely normal water drinkers. Yes. So moving on to Jack Goss for $20. That's an awesome super chat. Hey, thank Jack, you. thank you. Um, should I socialize my dog to my free range chickens at an early age and teach him pigeons and ducks are fair game, but chickens are not, or do I protect my chickens away from my dog and train my dog to hunt anything with wings? I would teach them to leave the dang chickens alone. It's going to be tough, but it's It's, better to start with them when they're young. Yes. I was going to say, it's going to be easier to start teaching that behavior when they're young, as well as if there's a accident most likely a younger puppy is going to do less damage to your chickens than a full grown adult prey driven dog. I will say free range is going to be tougher, especially if the dog is free range, then you have no control over it. But if the dog is in free range, you're going to have a pretty good idea of where and what and how they're interacting. And you can 
essentially utilize quote unquote breaking training. And that's to say, hey, chickens are bad, bro. Leave them be. They're not a game. Yes. And I will say though, that there are exceptions to every rule and situations where you're like, yeah, no way. This is a hunting dog. They're going to totally go after these chickens. But we have had situations where we've had clients that have gotten a dog, we've trained it, then they introduce it to their free range chickens and everything goes fine. And they don't have a problem with that dog chasing, eating or killing and catching their chickens. Uh, I was trying to see if I could find that picture a picture of Lincoln. Do you remember Lincoln with Sherry's? Sure. Sure. Chickens. Yeah. You find the pic. Oh, you find it? I don't know. It's a smaller picture. Free range chickens. They're short hair. Lincoln standing on the front step of the pigeon coop and no problems. So, like I said, it can be taught. There's exceptions to every rule. And that dog was, he is a prey driven fool and definitely not raised around chickens to begin with as a puppy. So kind of cool and crazy. Next question from Kelly is, it says one, we got our MR 1100 back fantastic that took longer than expected they had uh a little snafu with dt system service got it fixed got it back just took a little bit longer i'm i'm sure they've got a lot going on with um i don't know if y'all knew this but they got hit by a tornado a while ago and it took a long time to rebuild the dt systems headquarters in their warehouse but um it says here, Jax is recalling great, except for when he's not. Today, he froze. Ended up going from vibrate to continuous up to level 11. Nada. Okay, so I, she took my fidget spinner away. It's a distraction to me as well. <laughs> okay, so. Continue. Number one, it says uh, he froze. So the question that I would have then is this is going to take more information you were utilizing vibrate and he froze and said, I don't want to go any further. Um, we need to see some or was more ignoring it because he's like, Meh, I don't have to do this for vibrate. That's the question. Was he freezing because he was saying, I'm thinking about the collar or was he just completely ignoring it? That's an important differentiation. Um, as far as switching to continuous, if you got up to level 11 and nada, I'm going to say right now, there are five more levels, uh, But we need to find, first of all, first and foremost, he should be in low distraction environments responding completely to that vibrate before we're talking about the stimulation aspect of things. So we need more. And evaluating if the collar was truly working properly um, with the stimulation, if it was tight enough, if it was. um, Should be fully functional, just came back from service. Well, but sometimes you get flipped the toggle switch though sometimes because it's an go. MR1100 and sometimes you're not even on the right collar then they're done that so and you think with, you're handling your dog and yep. then you're like oh I'm on green and I should have been on black with uh, the MR1100 the far bottom is a lockout to prevent any of the buttons from working then you go one click up and it's the one dot and the one dot would be collar number one Dot two is collar number two and three is collar number three. But if you go all the way to the top, it only stops at three, but then it goes three, two, one lockout. So double check that to make sure you're for sure vibrating, you're for sure stimulating and it's working. Then as far as number two, thoughts on overlaying the whistle commands and standards. 
we don't te- technically overlay a whistle with the cue. The dogs, uh, most of the time with us, are going to respond to the collar itself. So it allows you to more silently handle. The big time that we're going to put an emphasis on something verbal is when we're moving into testing, which I know you've been working a little bit with your Navda chapter. Um, if you're going to be working in an environment where you're not going to have the collar, we're going to have to apply some level of verbal, whether that's a whistle or something to that. But for the most part, for me, I handle almost exclusively silently unless a dog's struggling to find where I'm at when I'm guiding. Just hit the button on vibrate, dog turns around. If they're ignoring vibrate, bump the stem, just like it sounds like you tried to, and then go back to vibrate. So that allows me to handle all day without whistling or hauling or hoopering or whatever. It's just quiet. And it's like, wow, your dogs listen so well. Well, little do you know, I've handled them all day long, but I've been able to do it silently. And I feel from training seminars that we've done, consults that we've done, and watching some Patreon videos, that a lot of people will end up overlaying those whistle cues, whistle commands um, with the collar and then relying heavily on those cues and not overlaying with the collar. And then they're just yelling and hollering at their dog without really reinforcing with the collar again. So silently handling as well as making sure that you are just being consistent with the use of the e-collar would it's be more important. So much more relaxing. Just yes. saying first and forehand for, for you and the folks that you're hunting with. Yeah. Next super chat is from Denny Wagner. Just want to say, I love you guys. My 10 week old GSP is thriving on your training program. You gave me so much confidence to bring him home. Thanks. Well, you're very welcome and congrats on your new puppy and continue following along with the training videos and hit us up on Patreon if you end up having questions. That makes us uh, really happy to hear. I do want to say we enjoy knowing that you get a lot of use out of the videos and that they're helping. This is the same one as up here. Same yes. person. Yep. JH. Hey guys, Jack from Ohio here. It's my first super chat, but what are your thoughts on a 13 week old GSP who prefers to grab toys and run away with them rather than fetching and retrieving? Thanks. Sounds so, like an average puppy. Yeah. And 13 weeks old, typically puppies at that 12 week old age really start to come into their own, gain a lot more confidence and independence. And that's when the running away thing tends to happen. Um, now keep in mind, retrieving is two parts. Puppy has to want to go pick something up, which it sounds like your puppy does. And then it's the obedience side of things of bringing that bumper or retrieving object back to you. And we would recommend if your puppy isn't collar conditioned, which 13 weeks old is kind of on that young side of being collar conditioned to recall, but utilizing a, what are you doing with this weird, quirky, murky grin on your face squinting at the computer? Just reading. That's just your face. Some of this stuff is entertaining. It's just your face. Um, Can't do anything about this. But you can throw a check cord or a tether on your puppy so that when they try and head off in the other direction with the object, you can give them a few tugs on that to get them headed back in your direction. Uh, We also recommend utilizing like a hallway or someplace that they can't just completely run off or knowing which direction that they want to run run away with. Um, You can try and say, well, if you're always trying to run off into the other room where the dog bed is, Um, or run off to that side of the house or that 
part of the fenced in yard, just move your body there and see if they end up running back towards you then. And you can just kind of cut them off. That's the ticket. I think a lot of times puppies are trying to run somewhere and I put myself in that path most of the time to be the most beneficial. Worst case scenario, the old attachment with a cord, you can kind of reel them in without having constant pressure. I think I got it. You were scrolled to the next one. Gotcha. All right. This is a repeat uh, offender from the Super Chat standpoint. Spurs and Fur Outdoors. It says, on average, how many training sessions does it take to clicker train a puppy? Okay. So there's a couple of things. First of all, clicker training is a fairly advanced or long-term process, but you may just be asking how many sessions on average does it take to charge the clicker to prepare your puppy to start? Um, and I would say uh, one to three. Some dogs figure it out right in that first session. Others, it might be the second or third, but typically not much more than that. We've got enough focus and understanding by that point. Even if they don't 100%, we talk about like, click, look, the dog turned and gave me some attention or paid attention or perked their ears or whatever. Um, Even if you don't see that, if you have a lot of focus for the meals, you can start to mark behaviors and move right into it. So within one to three sessions of charging the clicker, you should be able to move right into into your training sessions. Key with your clicker training, though, is that you are marking behaviors. Timing is everything. And then consistency helps um, mark exactly at the moment the dog does what you're trying to. If you're struggling and you feel like, hey, my timing seems off, a quick drill that you can do, you only need to do it probably once, maybe twice, is if you take that tennis ball that you just took away from your dog's training toys and you know you said you're never going to see this again and then drop it on the table and then try and click when it hits the table and then do it a couple more times and you'll have the timing down pat. For all of those um, younger folks out there, play all the, the you know video games. Video game players out there, um, you're pretty good with hitting buttons on uh, a time window. Time so linear. it's just, yeah, it's just marking exactly what the dog does. And the last part of that is marking the behavior um, does that. It marks the behavior, but it also ends the behavior. So if you say sit, the dog sits, you click, the dog's now free to do whatever they want. And the same for any other behavior that you're teaching them. Yes. And If you're struggling to get your clicker charged, it could be because you're not utilizing a little bit of tough love. And if your puppy isn't focused for the training session and you're not making progress with getting that clicker charged, you just need to pull their meal and then they'll be more ready to work at the next opportunity that the meal comes out. So this is a really interesting one from Megan Hussman. I hope I pronounced that right. When is it okay to spay the mama after giving birth? Should she go through one more heat cycle before spaying? I'm going to tell you that I don't honestly know the answer to this one. This is one that I could probably phone a friend and see, uh, probably not going to phone a friend, but I could look up some information on that. Heck, I can try. I do know though that there is, um, something to be said for not trying to spay a female right after a heat cycle um, because of excessive Definitely not bleeding during a heat cycle. Or during a heat cycle. Yep. Um, so I would imagine that similar timing would be appropriate as far as 
after the mom has had her puppies, um, as well as you wouldn't want to probably spay them until after they are done weaning, um, because we wouldn't want to interrupt milk production because of lack of hormones, which lack of hormones would come from spaying. So if you have a litter of puppies, which that's hence the mama after giving birth, it's probably fully weaned process, dried up, maybe back in good condition just from an overall health standpoint. I sent a quick text message and I for my phone a friend just to see if we have any availability for that. If we do, we'll jump back into it with a quick call. Let's see here. Next one, another from Don Fish. Is that spelled nope. different that way? No, the first from Don Fish Hunt. I got but confused with the... But he's super chatted before. Another repeat offender. He's also a repeat offender though. All right, so Which we says, appreciate you guys. We do, absolutely. It says, uh, issue with jumping, especially near face while sitting, aggressive play, and going absolutely crazy for human food. That's around 16-week-old GSP. That is kind of the time frame. Um, you start to see a little bit, like Kat was mentioning earlier, you start to see a little bit of independence around the 12-week mark, and then it grows into like, full on puppy slash velociraptor. You know, you everybody's probably seen that that meme. This is what I was thinking I got and it's a cute little puppy and this is what I actually got and it turns into a velociraptor, okay? So um, I do wanna explain though, the root of the problem with jumping, especially in your faces, aggressive or a better word for that because it's not actually aggressive. Dogs play with their mouth. Now you may be having aggression issues, of the time, it's not aggression-based, especially with a dog that age. Um, It is, however, inappropriate play. That's the way that we like to refer to it. Um, It's inappropriate play for us. Dogs interact with their mouths, especially puppies. That's why they chew on everything. They don't have hands. And even if you think about the development of a baby, there is a stage in there that they put everything in their mouth as well. The difference being that babies don't have razor sharp needle teeth and they're not as active at that stage. So they may put something in their mouth, but they're not running around putting every part of your body and legs and everything in their mouth all at one time. So um, there's a few things that go hand in hand with this specifically. And the big issue is overall interaction and respect and um, relationship with the dog itself. Now, I would assume these are, you know what assuming does, but I would assume that when this stuff happens, you're saying near face while sitting, it's, it's one of those that you're probably in and around and involved in your puppy's space. It probably is also happening primarily during what we would often refer to as the witching hour, which is the evening, um, often involved with an overly tired puppy. And at 16 weeks, I'm hoping if you've been following along with our videos and our program, because you're on here consistently, I'm sure you've seen them. You should have already started place training. You should have already or being close to starting collar conditioning. And we're going to recommend that you collar condition your puppy to lay on a dog bed And when you get in this zone that you're talking about right here, yeah, you quit that now. Go over there and lay down and think about calming yourself. Yeah, chew on a bone, stay on your dog bed, relax. And we are really big about being the fun police in those situations and saying, hey, 
you don't get the opportunity to play inappropriately and get aggressive and nip at us because we are going to condition the good behaviors that we're going to want out of you when you're an adult by having you calmly lay on your dog bed. If you don't have the opportunity to condition those naughty behaviors, they're not even going to become an opportunity that you're going to have as you get older. Anything to add to that one? We had a few things come in from Callie with her super chat question. It said should should be fully functional. We saw the same behavior with the Garmin. They got another e-collar in the, or had it before, or got it after the fact, something. Had a separate e-collar. I didn't see anything else okay. as I was going. So gotcha. it says, uh, we will reset everything, but this is happening intermittently. So one little tidbit, we like to talk about dog behavior and how their brains work specifically. This is a conclusion that I've come up with through lots and lots of interacting with dogs. And the way that I like to explain it is dogs' brains are directly attached to their feet. So if you see that frozen type of mentality where they're standing still and they're stuck, almost looks like they actually are stuck. They're stuck mentally. And the best way to reset that is to get their feet moving. If you're struggling, there's a lot of different things that we can do whether that's attached to a leash or cord so that you can physically tug them. Um, another would just be um, walking into them, walking around them, moving yourself, all of those things. Once we get those feet moving, then their brain restarts, you know, hitting that control alt delete, if you will, from back in the day with computers, right? That's how you reset the computer real quick to make sure that things are working. It wasn't frozen anymore. Yes. Yeah, so same thing happens with puppies uh, when they're their feet directly attached to their brain. And if you think about that, when you see a dog standing, giving that blank stare at you or the wall or whatever they're staring at, get their feet moving. We see it all the time here. Even people are like, oh, he knows how to sit and he knows how to do these things. Watch. Hey, Sparky, sit, 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 Sparky. Hey, 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 Sparky, sit. And they're like frozen, staring off over here, focused at something else. All you've got to do is get their focus, get their feet moving again, and then ask again, and then boom. Yes, your dog doesn't under understand that, but they were stuck for a second. As well as I wanted to mention, because that kind of made me think, you know, you went from vibrate to continuous all the way up to an 11. And sometimes, um, like moving from that vibrate to that level of continuous is too much too quick for those dogs. And they almost, their brains get overwhelmed and moving to like a pulsing on the continuous button or using that Nick button. Um, so they have a second to think about the cue that you've asked them for in between um, that level of stimulation. And then once they get moving again, switch back to vibrate a lot of times because we only want to use the lowest level of stimulation, momentary, continuous, whichever it may be that they're going to respond to. Yes. And definitely if you get the opportunity to try and shoot a video of your training session for us, because you are on Patreon, go ahead and send that over. So that we can see firsthand, yes, this is in fact what's going on and then give you the more specific direction of which way to go. Yes. All right. I'm going to give you- Rodolfo Rodriguez. There you go. It says 15 month old GSP doesn't want to break over and swim consistently. Only swims in specific areas. Worry about new water bodies prepping for the August Navda natural ability test. This is a fun one. 
Also, a very, very common thing for young dogs. 15 months old falls into the tier of a little bit older, but also the window of if you didn't get a bunch of water work done last spring, summer time frame, you've had a bunch of fall and winter time frame, and now you have a dog that's 15 months old and hasn't really had a lot of great water introduction opportunities. So if they want to swim in a specific area, my recommendation would be building their confidence there. Get to the point where they are not hesitating at all. They're just constantly going into the water over... Hide this. Yeah, sorry. Um, Coco Litter. Uh, You're in timeout, my dear. We're not trying to sell puppies or give away puppies or anything on here right now. Um, But... Get them super confident about going into the water, breaking over to swim in that area or location or pond that they are the most comfortable with and just build on that, build on that, build on that so that they're not even thinking about, oh, this is the point where I have to stop because this is where I'm going to have to start swimming. And you just want to really build confidence. Utilizing a bird might be an opportunity to build that confidence, getting out in the water with them, and then move to another location once you've really built that confidence that has a very similar look to it, a similar water entry, a similar um, size pond, because even the size of the pond can be overwhelming to a puppy where they're like, oh, this is so big, this is so vast, I, I could definitely not swim in this area. So trying to find another pond with a similar look, a similar feel, get them confident there, and then start expanding on that where you can say, okay, now I'm going here with a little bit different look, a little bit different water entry. And ideally, you're going to want to get to the point where your puppy can break over and swim with confidence no matter what the water entry looks like because you don't know until you get to the day of the test, what your water is going to look like at the puppy water. Um, You know, we really try as judges and as chapters and tests, locations and sites to have that really ideal puppy water where you've got, you know, a nice water with good swimming depth that isn't, you know, they don't have to walk out 20 yards before they finally start swimming. But we also don't want to drop off where they literally take one step in and they're up above their head. Um, We want that nice gradual water entry and we try and find the ideal water for that, but it doesn't always happen. So having a puppy that can handle an unideal water entry um, and pond is going to be, it's going to give you that confidence to know that your puppy is going to swim at your NA test no matter what. And utilizing birds now and then transitioning back to bumpers once they gain that confidence is also a good thing um, so that you've got that little bit of a push to get them basically confident to get in the water. I agree with Kat because I believe you said, I was reading, which I Mm -hmm. don't always follow 100%, but I believe you said um, utilize the water that you're comfortable in, right? Yes. To build more confidence. To build as much confidence. So we had a situation with this very recently, and it was a dog. And most of these things happen in a light switch type situation. People use that um, comparison a lot. And it's because it's how dogs work. It's kind of or not at all. And then, boom, it happens. And then they never look back after that. So I started with a dog most recently here in training, um, Scooby a wire-haired pointing Griffon, super nice dog, um, struggled with water though. 
He was a very strong retriever on land. Now, as a griff, and I'm not picking on griff folks that are here, but griffs by nature typically fall into the category of slightly lower drive and desire. Not all of them, but on average, a little lower, okay? So he liked to retrieve on land, but when it came to let's play fetch in the water, he's like, meh, I could take or leave retrieving down here for the time being. We built up confidence through a lot of different things. We show that in our retrieving videos um, and water introduction videos, and we got some success. He started doing really great at the simple water. Then we moved to a new body of water, and exactly like you're talking about, he struggled. But we were able to work through it and utilize the confidence that we had built at the first pond. So once he got to that point, then it was pretty much no looking back. He just ran his test, killed the water portion, it was hot, dry. All the dogs struggled a little bit with tracking that day, but the water portion he nailed, no problem. So I'm saying for you, once you get there, you're going to get there. Don't push it too hard. Don't feel stress of a of your upcoming test as a thing to try and push things. Work through that water that he's confident in. The more confidence you build there, the better off you'll be. Yeah. Um, this was something that popped in here, and then that's about all the Is that time. What you wanted to yep, that's about all to. the time that we've got left for this evening. Um, there was some we had a spammer ish come through. We put her in him, her, I say her just but him, her, it, whatever, in timeout, because no, go away. Nobody wants to be bothered. Um by getting but there was some level of question that came up here that I want to bring to everybody's attention because this is a thing. Um, you can buy vaccinations at your local tractor supply or farm and home or whatever they call it in your specific area. Most of them carry some level of five-way or seven-way or nine-way or 45-way puppy vaccination, okay? There are some, as far as the vaccines themselves go, they're completely viable, real vaccines, the issue that you're going to run with, run into, and I don't mean this offensively, but this is the honest aspect of things here. Um, your minimum wage or slightly above employee, that's their job to take the vaccines and put them in the refrigerator, um, takes their lunch break because it is what it was their time. Well, then the vaccines sit out. They're no longer viable. And then they get put in the refrigerator later like, yeah, they'll be fine, right? Or we don't want anybody to know because I screwed up. Something like that. Let's just make some generalizations. The other aspect of things is, let's say that refrigerator goes down. They have a power outage, something. The vaccines warm up. They're no longer viable. And then here you are, innocent bystander, coming in, buying that vaccine and saying, my dog is safe now. Not always the case, okay? There is a bigger risk with this. Now, the benefit of going with the veterinarian for the vaccinations is they have insurance for that stuff. If one of the employees, vet techs or assistants or office guys or gals or whatever, they leave your vaccinations out and they get warm, guess what happens at the vet clinic? They say, don't do this again. They throw them away or turn them back in and then get new vaccinations to actually give to the dogs because that's important it gets filed under the insurance aspect of things. So you have a much, much, much better chance of the vaccines actually being viable when they come from the veterinarian. 
And if you guys don't think that's a big deal, we've unfortunately had a client that got all of their vaccines from their local farm supply store and their puppy ended up not being fully vaccinated, got distemper and died. Died from distemper. Okay. That's not a thing that happens in this day and age. Not really. Not often because all the dogs are vaccinated for it. Well, if your vaccines aren't good, then they're not vaccinated for it. So Correct. that $5 vaccine that you can get at your farm supply store or having to go to the vet for a $25 appointment or whatever your vet charges, um, we're talking about what is worth the risk to you guys. I would rather make sure that my dog is fully vaccinated properly with viable vaccines for even if those appointments are a hundred dollars a pop, um, you want to make sure that that's your dogs being well taken care of because most of you guys have dogs that cost a fair number of dollars. Yes. And I tried for the phone a friend, but it doesn't look like that's going to be available this evening. Sorry, folks. Sorry, we weren't able to get you a for sure definite answer on the spaying a female after she's had puppies. But I do, I do want to throw this out there too. I do know that there's been times that I've heard about dogs having to go in for like emergency C-sections or end up with pyometra and they get spayed at that time. So talking to your vet would probably be the best source of information about timing on spaying a female. That's because that's what I was going to do. I was going to literally talk to my vet and ask that question. So good, uh, good, good questions. Great tonight, questions. Guys. Great conversation. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's topic. And if you guys have a suggestion for next week's topic, throw it in the comments after this finishes going live so that we end up being able to still see those because the they live disappear. comments go away. So that's why I waited to hold that to the end. If you guys wait until we hit the end of this live stream and then comment, we will be able to go through some of those suggestions for a topic for next week. The other side of it is we will throw up on social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, the little questionnaire sections or suggestions. I will, um, questionnaires for suggestions. Yes. I missed a word in the, the, I think I can throw up similar things. We're trying to to fall into the category. You can do some of this stuff on YouTube. So um, as far as quote unquote story posts. Yeah, I just so, don't know if you can do like quizzes. Or yeah, I don't know. I'm going to look into it a little bit more because I know there are some folks here that are just YouTube fans. And for all of you all, uh, we want to sp- spread the love. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in again this week. And we will see you in the next week's Yawa because... I'm definitely out of my gin and tonic. Yeah, I ran out of uh, beer a little bit ago, and my fiddle spinner is gone, too. So I'm the guy with the pink gun. I'm Kat, the dog trainer. We'll see you in the next video, folks.